what's the what's the goal? <laughs> the goal is twelve o'clock. Okay. All right. All right. Is he lying? Is he trying to sell me short? Get me to finish early? All right. It's not easy to get me to finish. So, good morning. Buongiorno. Let's see how you guys do. First service did pretty good. Let's hear you. Buongiorno. Hey, you guys are way better. <laughs> I think that extra five cups of coffee really helps out with the Italian. I want to show you guys a quick video. Uh, try not to take up too much time just talking and this video uh, says a lot, and and then I'll make some comments, and then we'll get into the word together. Okay. Yeah, so uh, that was a video we made a couple of years ago, and in the last couple of years, we actually, a year ago, uh, this April, we launched that church with Pastor Vincenzo. We sent out about 20 people 
on the opposite side of Rome. Rome, large city, huge city, four million people plus, and uh, very expansive. And so now we have three churches, by God's grace, in the Rome area. One, uh, the, the original one, ours, and in kind of one of the rougher neighborhoods of the city, one of the most populated uh, neighborhoods of the city. And then we started one up on the hill outside of Rome. And then now we just started this other one. So uh, I was trying to explain to the, the first service that, you know, working in uh, Italy is, is very, very difficult, very, very tough, you know, because to be anything but Catholic is kind of viewed as being a cult or, or a sect. And so there's a lot of stigma on kind of stepping outside of, you know, your Catholic roots and that kind of a thing. So uh, it seems like you're trudging along and you're, you're not really, you know, 60 million people and not even 1% are biblically born again. When you're, when you're in the work, you know, you're just kind of thinking nothing is happening here. We're not, we're not getting anywhere. But now that 20 years have passed, um, and really 23 years, 24 years since we planted the first Calvary Chapel, which we had the privilege of, of helping to plant, and then uh, about four or five years later, four years later, we God sent us to go start the work in Rome. So at that time, we were two churches, and uh, we had a conference. Recently, we had our All Calvaries in Italy conference. And the first time we did that, about uh, 17 years ago or so, we were like 10 people. You know, me and my wife, and one of our, I think we had a baby at the time. And then uh, the other pastor from the north and his family, and we had a couple other stragglers. But we just had that conference. We we do it annually. We all we try to get together once a year, and we had over ten churches and over 150 people at our conference. And yeah, yeah, it's, it's praise the Lord. Um. But one of the exciting things is to see now we have some national. Pastors, uh, I was going to show you another video, but I'm not going to. I, I'm going to try to link it up on our website. If you ever end up getting to CalvaryChapelRome.org, you can maybe see it. But it's of Pastor Vincenzo, who was my assistant pastor for 10 years. And we, we just sent him out a year ago with about 20 people out of our church, started a new one. And so that was the second video would have been him kind of explaining some things. It's in Italian, but it's got the subtitles. Is that what you call them? And... Um, Anyway, God's doing good things, and we'd appreciate your prayers uh, to kind of update where where we are now. Uh, we're still working on that curriculum, so we'd really appreciate your prayers with that. It, it's a, a an intensive and extensive work. You know, we have to write it, uh, translate it, do all. We're doing all the graphics, just the whole layout, everything. It's going to be a really uh, important instrument and tool for all churches. In Italy, you know, we don't care who, what, what church they are, whatever, they're going to be able to use it for free. We want to publish it and have it online. Um, you know, you, you can only appreciate that maybe if you've ever been a Sunday school teacher. <laughs> uh, but especially if you've been a Sunday school teacher in another country, in another language. And, you know, in English, we're really blessed because we just have so many resources uh, dating back, you know, a couple hundred years or whatever. But in Italian, you don't have that. So the resources that are available are very few. So when you do a, a Sunday school curriculum, it's like you use, maybe there's two or three total, 
and you go through them, you know, the kids, you know, at a certain point, they're like, yeah, we've, we've done this one, you know. So we're making another one available, and we, we really appreciate your prayers. Just we need to get across the finish line with it and get it done. It's already been, you know, a few years since we started the project. So keep my wife in particular in your prayers for that. Um, but just a lot going on. God's doing good things. Pray for the pastors there, the national pastors, the new church plants. Um, as I said, we've got like over 10 churches. We've got the Bible College Extension Campus of Calvary Chapel Bible College in the north. And they just got a new building and they're working on that. And I just heard this morning, Pastor Craig, who pastors that church, he's really sick with a bad pneumonia. So what I'd like to do is just pray for him, for healing, and we'll pray for the churches, and you guys saw everything else, you know, Kenya and whatever, if you want to talk about it afterwards, I'll be glad to talk to you. We're going to try to take a mission trip, a team, to Kenya, if God puts that on your heart and you want to try to get involved with that, if it's okay with Pastor Tom and all that works out, we'll, we're going to go in 2020, probably like January, February, or something like that, but we're going to minister to... Some of the missionaries there do kind of some VBS stuff with some of the Kenyan churches. And then we're going to go up into the refugee camp up in the north, which is one of the largest refugee camps in the world. Um, but I'll leave it at that. Well, let's pray. Okay. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you that you're a God who is for us and not against us. And we're just grateful that you're a loving God, a good God, that you love the world. That you love the world so much you gave your son. And you still love the world, Lord. And uh, so we just want to do our part, what we can, whether it's in Springfield, Italy, or Kenya, or whatever. We just want to walk in obedience to you, whether it's praying, or giving, or going, and speaking, and teaching, and or just doing doing a VBS thing, like, like this group in, in Juarez. And Lord, just so grateful that you would use us. Not only save us, give us eternal life, but allow us to collaborate in the work of your eternal kingdom. Pour out your spirit, Lord. We pray for Pastor Craig. Ask for you to just touch him right now. Just extend your hand, speak a word, heal him up. Just uh, from just death down in the dumps, pneumonia to healing, walking, rejoicing, just full, full strength. We're grateful, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you can do... You raised Lazarus. You raised yourself. You still raised the dead. Nothing is difficult for you. So work by your Spirit, Lord. Continue to bless the churches, the pastors. Provide. Just shake that nation spiritually, Lord, in Italy. And continue your work in Kenya and throughout, Lord. Uh, Use us. According to your purposes, we ask that you would open up your word to us right now, that you would speak to our hearts, open our eyes and our understanding, bring conviction, repentance, comfort, encouragement, whatever you want to do, whatever you know each one of us needs. We need to hear from you, Lord, and you are a God who speaks, so we trust you well, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 28. Got to get out my little handy timer to try to be a little bit more precise here. So, um, 
I want to talk to you this morning about three transforming effects of the resurrection that I see here in Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> I will uh, give them to you ahead of time, and that way you can kind of be looking for, if you're one of them outliners, note takers, I'm usually not that uh, organized in my presentation, but today I do have some, some points for you in outline. So number one, uh, one effect that is very transforming uh, when it comes to the power of the resurrection in our lives is that it frees us from fear. And fear is one of the most dominating and crippling and paralyzing emotions that we experience, whether perceived or real, as humans and as Christians. And it also is one of uh, the greatest tools, I think, of the enemy that keeps us from the power of God and, and the fruit of the Spirit and the work of God in our lives and what I would refer to as the abundant life as promised to us by Jesus Christ. And if you ever get a little taste of that, then you know that that's, that's way out there. That's way up there. That's, that's what I would call living. You know what I mean? Uh, I'll never forget one time we were sitting on the beach. You know, Rome's got the coast there. Beautiful sea. Beautiful beaches. We were sitting on the beach. My daughter... I was like four years old, my oldest, and um, she, you know, we're just kind of taking it in, not many people out, and the, the, you know, how it is, just the sun on the sea, and just the beauty of God's creation and all that, and she sits back, you know, she's four years old, she sits back and she goes, ah, this is living. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, this is living, isn't it? But you know... That's kind of the, the, the thing that should be happening in our lives on a consistent basis as we walk with Jesus Christ. That's why he died. That's why he rose from the dead. It wasn't just to get us to heaven and play harps, but it, it was actually to present to us a different way of living now in this life and in this fallen world, which is something that is, you know, worth it. You know, it's something that's like, ah. This is this is living. And you can't have that without the resurrection, without the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, working in your life. And one of the main things that's going to rob you and rob me from that is fear. So we're going to look at that. Why don't we look at the text first? I'll give you the other two points quickly. We'll read some of the first verses here in 28 and uh, we'll get into this. But, you know, the first one frees us from fear. The second one is that when God delivers us from something, he usually delivers us unto something better in its place. And so the, the transforming effect of, of the resurrection is that it delivers us from fear, but then he delivers us unto joy or rejoicing. And we're going to see that in this text. And then the last point that I want to show you is something that I believe is God's way of Keeping this going, you know, he, he wants to perpetuate it. He doesn't want you to just kind of get it, have it, and then look back on 20 years and go, hey, I remember 20 years ago, <laughs> I had a lot of joy and, and, and victory, freedom from fear. But, you know, for the last 15, 20, whatever it is, you know, I've just been living in defeat and uh, depression and, and darkness and sadness and uh, whatever. So anyway, I think that the, the last key here is that 
He delivers us from fear. He delivers us unto joy. But then he also commands us to go and tell others about that transforming dynamic, uh, his work in our lives. And what happens when we do that is we share, they get joy, they get blessing, they get deliverance from fear, sin, and all these kinds of things. But then it just kind of bounces right back at us and boom, get the joy from that giving them that that blessing. And that's where Paul said, Jesus said, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's kind of the secret of the kingdom of Jesus is, if you will die to yourself, live for others, live for God, you will be constantly in that perpetual motion and experience of joy. You know, just boom, 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 boom. I give it out, they get joy. It comes back when, when they get the joy, I get more joy. And so it, it just continues the cycle. So here we are in Matthew 28. Uh, it's after the death, burial, and now we're going to see the moment, you know, kind of the resurrection, the first appearances of Jesus to these ladies, and then later to the, the disciples. But it says after the Sabbath in verse 1, the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone uh, of the door and sat on it. Moving on down to verse 5, the angel answered the women and said to them, Do not be afraid. I know you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. So we have the resurrection. He says, Come and see where the Lord lay, the place where the Lord lay. And then he says in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples. So already you see the angel appearing. There is potential for great fear in the lives of these women right there you know it's like ah what's going on there's earthquakes there's angels there's you know uh things that that are even now going contrary to the grief the loss of jesus they're just experiencing everything at its most heightened level of what we consider to be you know this emotional kind of reality in this natural body that tends to be the indicators that kind of control us, regulate us, and cause us to act and react in our lives. But the angel is saying, don't let that dominate you. Do not be afraid. Now go do something. I want you to go and tell somebody else the good news that I have just told you. And then as you move forward in the story here... um, He tells him, you know, go tell the disciples, Jesus is going before you in Galilee in verse 7. He says, behold, I have told you. And then in verse 8, they went quickly from the tomb, but notice, with fear and great joy. (laughs) So they're going through the processes, as it were, of, of trying to... To, you know, figure all this out and deal with their own natural feelings and emotions. And yet at the same time, believe it, trust it, and do what, what they were told to do. And both of those things are typically counter one to the other. You know what I mean? Like, typically the way we feel, based on what we've seen and what we're hearing, is usually telling us to do something very different compared to maybe what the Holy Spirit is telling us or what God would tell us. And therein lies the difference between 
faith and unbelief acting and, and in action and therefore either getting the blessing, the result, the fruit, the joy, or never knowing or missing out and just being bottled up in our fears or whatever it may be. So here they are, verse 8, they're, they're, they, 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 there's great joy, they're excited, but at the same time they, they have fear and hopefully I'll, I'll think clearly enough to come back and, and touch on that. You know, some of the potential fears uh, that they could be experiencing there. But then it says, as they go to tell the disciples in verse 9, uh, they, Jesus met them. And what does Jesus tell them to do? He tells them to rejoice. And what I want you to see is that in this kind of process, you know, we're, when fear comes upon us, we want to deal with fear. We want to deal with fear in a godly way. Fear. Fear can be good, it can be healthy, but it also can be very unhealthy. And here, the angel and Jesus both are trying to tell these ladies to not let fear dominate them, <clears throat> because they're trying. He's trying to get them to le- take the blessing onto someone else, and he's trying to perpetuate that joy both in them and through them. And so, we're going to see, you know, that uh, rejoicing is a very powerful weapon as we're dealing with fear in our lives. And we we have more reason than anybody else on the planet to rejoice if you believe what we're talking about here, why we're here. If you believe that Jesus Christ, in fact, has risen from the dead, then you have great, great reason for rejoicing. Because, number one, well, death has been conquered. (laughs) There's a way out. There's a way through. But even more importantly, as we've seen, you know, when Jesus did die on the cross, you had the earthquake, you had the darkness, but you also had the tearing of the veil in the temple. And sometimes that veil, when we read that, it seems very insignificant, but it wasn't insignificant to the Jews. You know, that veil was, was the separating point it was the keep out point, the no trespassing sign, as it were, in the holy of holies, in the temple. So the priests, they could get in, people couldn't get in, only the priests could get into the holy place where they could minister, you know, with the, the there was the, the candle, abra, what do you call it, you know, the candlestick and the table of uh, showbread on one side, you know, the, the, the place of communion, as it were, the, the bread and the cup. And then up front, there was the, the altar of incense where they offered up prayers. Well, beyond that, there was the veil. Nobody could go beyond that veil except for the high priest once a year. And he went in with fear and trembling and even a cord attached to his ankle in case he died in there. Something happened and nobody wanted to go in and get him. They would pull him out, you know. So when that veil tore, that veil is symbolic of sin. You know, Isaiah said, your sin has separated you from your God. And, you know, our, our sin is, is filthy, it's disgusting. Our, our greatest goodness, apart from Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross and His innocent blood shed for us, our greatest goodness... The Bible says, Isaiah prophesied and said, it is as a dirty used menstrual cloth. That's pretty bad. 
That's pretty disgusting. God, God, God would say to us, that's you at your best. A lot of times we look at ourselves, and this is one of the big dramas and, and difficulties of ministering in a Catholic culture, is that um, you know, Catholicism in general, is a, it's a works-based religion. You know, biblical Christianity is the opposite. It's a grace-based reality. It, it, it's all about what God has done. It's all about that you can't do anything to get to God, to appease God, to please God, to make peace with God, to know God, but that because you're separated from God in your sin, you're a rebellious, wicked, evil, little spoiled brat, as it were. I am too. I, we are all that. But God says, I still love you. I love you so much that I am going to send the atonement, the substitutionary sacrifice. I'm going to send someone that is going to be able, because he's pure, because he's holy, because he's sinless, and because he is human, he's going to die in your place. He's going to pay the price and the penalty. He's going to take upon him the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and the suffering on his own. And he's going to do it just for you so that you can then be forgiven. So so this is grace. It's a free gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. You can't do anything in and of your own self. No works will tell God, yes, I deserve forgiveness and salvation. He just says, no, I give it to you in my son, Jesus Christ. If you will believe it in your heart. Then you will be saved. If you'll confess your sins to me, you will be forgiven. That's it. That's grace. So the works-based side of religion and life says, no, 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 no. I'm not that bad. I'm not a bad person. I'm a pretty good person. And we look to, we compare ourselves with others and we say, hey, you know, I give. I go feed the poor down at the homeless shelter. I go on mission trips or whatever it is that we do that we think makes us better than the rest. We say, I haven't killed anybody, you know, I try not to lie, whatever. And it's really just a sham. Because Jesus, when he shows up, he says, well, you think you're pretty good, but let me break this down for you. You say you haven't killed, but if you had anger in your heart, you're a murderer. Aye, 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 aye. That's a little steep, right? I didn't think I was that bad. I've had a lot of anger. Anybody here ever have anger well okay no you say well i'm not a very angry person what about a lustful person you ever look at people with lust you ever look at women and go wow she's hot she's beautiful you ever look at men and go whoa that guy is buff and caught and my husband is not whatever jesus says if you if you've had that in your heart you're an adulterer okay who who in the room hasn't had you know who hasn't lied Who hasn't had anger? Who hasn't? Well, see, that's the difference between a works-based mentality that thinks, I do certain things and therefore I think I'm pretty good, versus the reality, the truth of the Bible that says, no, 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 no. It's not about what you do. It's who you are. Sin is in you. It is a part of you. You are born into the human race. Therefore, you're born of Adam. And therefore, your daddy, (laughs) the original daddy, he was a rebel and a sinner. And in him, all have been judged and separated from God. You're born. You're dead to God in sin. And the only way to remedy that is by grace through faith. It's a free gift of God given to you in Jesus Christ. You can only come as a wretched sinner naked and blind, 
poor wretched I come. I see myself in light of your holiness. I'm in deep trouble. I'm dirty, filthy. Forgive me. You're my only hope. And then he goes, forgiven. So anyways, I don't know why I got off on that. But coming back to this, fear is a part of that. It's a part of that nature. It's a part of that fallen condition that we face. And fear rules our lives. I'm just amazed. Uh, I I can look at fear myself. Sometimes I'm afraid of what you'll think. I'm afraid I won't say the right things. I, you know, we just get all these things going in our minds. I I have a, a definition here for fear. It says it's an unpleasant feeling triggered by the perception of danger, real or imagined. You know, there's we. It's like every everything now is diagnosed. You know, there's a phobia for everything. Like I remember my daughter when she was little, she had a phobia of elevators. It was the most bizarre thing. We'd we'd just be like on like the tenth floor somewhere or something. You know, I'd be like, okay, honey, come on. You know, we got to get on the elevator, and she'd be like, no way. And we'd be like, honey, you know, it's it's safe. We're gonna get in. We're you know. But I mean, in her mind, that was that was a perceived danger that created a reaction in her heart and you know it was real to her it was something she felt and sensed and it was nothing you were going to do to change that and we have fears of everything we we have fear fear of failing fear of succeeding fear of being embarrassed fear of uh traveling fear of staying fear of being alone fear of being with too many people you know it's just like Anything you can kind of think of, you've got both sides of the coin, and usually both sides are presenting to us some sort of of fear. But here's what I want to explain to you about it, is that fear is rooted in unbelief. Fear is rooted in self. Fear is rooted in the flesh, the natural man, you know, because we think, well, they're going to think of me in that way. And therefore... I don't like it. It makes me nervous. I can't do it. I won't do it. And, and whatever. And Jesus, obviously, his whole thing is, I want to deliver you from fear, but in order to deliver you from fear, I've got to deliver you from self because fear is rooted in self many times and oftentimes. I know I'm generalizing. I know that fear is, is a good trigger, a good emotion. You know, it can save us. <laughs> From like falling bricks, or, you know, speeding vehicles, earthquakes, you know, whatever it may be. There, there can be good in it. But the majority of the time, especially when it comes to doing God's will and receiving God's blessings in our lives, the majority of the time it has to do with something that is perceived and imagined and running through our brains that... You know, any of you like that where you take something and you go, well, but what if I do that and then they think that and then they say that? And I got, my wife is kind of like that and uh, I'm not necessarily. And, uh, and I always kind of go, honey, why are you preparing yourself for non-realities? Like you, you don't know what's going to happen. So why worry about all the potential possibilities? <laughs> And that is what fear can do to us. And it keeps us from the blessings of God. Here with these women, you can see that Jesus 
the angel and Jesus both not only want to bless them, deliver them from their own fears. What are their fears here? You know, the fear, uh, you know, Mary, she grabs onto Jesus. Jesus is like, oh, ease up here a little bit, you know, relax a little bit. Why? Because, hey, it's really me. I'm really resurrected. I'm not going back in the tomb. This isn't a figment of your imagination. You will see me again. I will continue to do my work and, and so on and so forth. You know, in her mind, it could have just been, oh, I lost you once. I'm not losing you again. You know, I'm not going out of your sight. This feels real. <laughs> and I'm not going away from here. And you just run it through all the possibilities of, of how fear could have been coming upon them in their minds. And Jesus and the angel both are like, hey, don't be afraid. Don't let fear rob you from what we want to do and what the blessing for you and then for the others. And so imagine had they given themselves over to the fear. Like joy, fear, there's like that wrestling thing of, they said to go tell others, but ah! Well, Peter and John wouldn't have heard. They wouldn't have gone and discovered the empty tomb. And, and, you know, you can play it out. But here's the way I look at it, is that if Mary would have given herself over to the fear, in the end, do you think Jesus would have still not gotten the message out to the others? He was going to get it out, right? It's going out. It's going to happen. Jesus wants everybody to know. But the only difference would have been what? He would not have used Mary. Mary would have missed out on that opportunity to be the vessel that delivered the message to the disciples that then gave them cause to overcome fear and have joy and rejoicing and then continue the cycle by spreading it to others. Um, there was a, a, a study that was done on fear and, between predatory animals and their prey, dealing with lions and tigers and this kind of a thing. And they, they, the reason they did this study, it, it was a communications group out of North Carolina called Fauna. But anyway, the reason that they did this study is because they, they watched this process where these big uh, felines would come out, you know, on the edge of the forest or whatever, and they would see their prey, and as they were attacking, they would let out this ferocious roar, and the reaction of the prey, instead of immediately just being like, get out of here, they would freeze. They would be just frozen and paralyzed, and obviously that would give the predator the advantage, and he would have a nice lunch. So they, they wanted to figure this out, because people have nothing better to do than spend millions of dollars on figuring out why, you know, prey get frozen and, and paralyzed and eaten for lunch. And so they did this, and they, they, they discovered there were these different frequencies that, that went, were let out in this ferocious roar one was high one was low and one one was audible and one is not audible but yet it is sensed and felt and the combination of those create the reaction within the prey which was nothing but i can do nothing and they're they're paralyzed and that's what fear does fear paralyzes us and if you read Genesis to Revelation, you know, there was a thing out years ago on Facebook or whatever. It was like, oh, 365. God said 365 times, do not fear for every day of the year. That's not true. But it's cute. And God does say a lot in the scriptures. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Why? Because what is being perceived, the circumstances, the 
events, the, the intended consequences, create fear in people from doing the will of God, from experiencing the blessings of God, and so forth. And so he shows up to Moses, he shows up to uh, I, uh, Jacob, and he shows up to David, and he shows up to Paul, and he would say things like, hey, I know this looks daunting. Jo- Joshua is a great example. He's like, I know, hey, this looks crazy, this looks daunting. Okay, he's going to walk around, you're going to blow some trumpets and stuff. Do not fear. Why? Because I'm with you. The greatest denominator, almost every time that God says, do not fear in the scriptures to one of his servants, one of his children, one of his prophets or whatever, he, he always qualifies it by saying, because I am with you. So if you want to face fear, if you want to deal with fear, one of the first things you've got to understand is that God is with you. God is for you. God is not against you. He's not trying to curse you or (laughs) whatever. He wants to bless you. He wants to bring good things into your life. He wants you to have the abundant life. In, In Hebrews, it says, you know, we must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek. And that means you're believing two things about God. Number one, he's God. Right. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He is God, sovereign over all things. But number two, you're believing something about his nature and his character. And that is he's not only God and he can do all things, but he's actually really good. (laughs) And he wants to bless me and reward me. Those are the two things that parts of the equation that have to be, you know, involved when we are relating to God, when we are walking in obedience to God so that we might receive the blessings of God. And fear is usually what keeps us from that. So if you want to deal with fear, you have to believe God. You have to trust God. Here they were told something. Hey, he's risen. Believe it. (laughs) Trust it. The empty tomb, the stone. Now go and tell. They're battling the fear. Jesus shows up and says, hey, rejoice. So we want to be delivered from fear. The resurrection, God, he wants to deliver us from fear. But then he doesn't just want to say, hey, don't fear. And it's like, what? Give me a reason. (laughs) Because it looks like bad things are coming and are going to happen. Well, he says, no. I don't want you to look at the circumstances. I want you to believe what I say. I want you to trust me. And I want you to rejoice. What is rejoicing? What does rejoicing do? For us, or rejoicing would obviously be something where we're saying, despite what I feel, despite what I see, despite what I'm hearing, I'm trusting and I am believing God, and therefore I have a reason to be happy. I have a reason to exalt. I have a reason to not let fear take me down and cr- create this intimidation and everything else within me, but instead I go, Hallelujah, praise God. I'm, you know, death has no power over me. Death has lost its sting. You know, this, this situation happened. I lost my brother. He died. Uh, this situation happened. I don't have funds. The, the big bill came in. It's like, oh no, how am I going to pay for that? And God says, hey, don't worry. Don't fret. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. What does he say there in Philippians? Is it a Philippians? Yeah, Philippians chapter four. You know, he says, do not be anxious, but do what? Pray with what? Thanksgiving. Why? Because you believe that I've got all the reasons in the world to be content, to be satisfied, to be still, to know that God is good and he is going to do something. He is going to bless me. What does it say? He says you you exchange 
the fear or the anxiety, as it were, the worry for what? His peace that does what? Passes understanding. Here's the problem right here. <laughs> this little four inch space or however wide it is. Some of us got some really big melons. Others have smaller ones, but nonetheless, it's not that wide and large, but it contains a world of insanity, sin, <laughs> and our own little personalities and everything, and however it works all together. It makes for quite a crazy little world. Like, just right here, you know what I'm saying? In my world. And then I get my world and together with your world and everything that's happening in the world, and there's great cause for fear, so says my body, my mind, my, <laughs> my will, and so forth. But I need to bring those thoughts and imaginations, what? Into subjection to Jesus Christ, into obedience to him, which means what? I got to know what he says. I got to know what he's saying. I got to know what he's telling me to do. And by and large, that happens right here in his word. But it also happens in my heart as he speaks to me to my spirit and tells me what to do. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. Second Timothy. Well, if you're dealing with fear, well, what does that mean? That, to me, that means, okay, I'm not perfected in his love. I need to get more of his love because I got a lot of fears and less love. I need more love and less fears because perfect love, Jesus Christ, I would suggest to you, is perfect love. Here's perfect love standing before a woman who's just gone through a lot of trauma, a lot of uh, anguish and suffering. Her emotions are going crazy. Her mind's telling her to do things that are contrary to what he is saying. And yet here he is standing there, perfect love. In the flesh. And he's saying, trust me, do not fear. Do not be unbelieving. Don't go by the circumstances or your feelings or anything. Do what I tell you to do. You will get the blessing. You will get the joy. And so he says, rejoice. Rejoice says, I do believe you. (laughs) I do trust you. And you'll deal with it. You'll work it all out. And there will be blessing. Amen? So remember... Christ is risen, Christ is present, Christ is for you, and he is very, very good. The key there is dying to self and yielding yourself to God and saying, okay, you're in control, I trust you. The bills, that's a big number, <laughs> that's big numbers, I, the math's not going to add up here. But you're telling me not to fear. You're telling me not to worry. I trust you. You provide. Show me your stuff. (laughs) Work. And God does. So we rejoice because we believe. You know, the the root of this word, the one that's in the Old Testament, like that's used with Joshua when he tells them that they're to rejoice, to praise, you know, the whole blowing of the trumpets and all that. The root word there is actually where we get our word charis or grace. So Jesus kind of shows up and says, hey, grace to Mary, grace unto you. What is grace? It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It's God's favor. It's God's power. It's God saying, hey, I got this. I got you. I'm with you. No problems, no fears, no worries. And he did it to Joshua and he did it to David and he does it it to everybody else. C.S. Lewis said, joy is heaven's business. I like that. Because Jesus never was a bummer. You know what I mean? Like, he was actually joyful to be around. People like being around him. Why? Do you like being around people that aren't joyful? Do you like being around cynics? Do you like being around critical people? Do you like being around 
judgmental people, whatever. You know, he was joyful and therefore people wanted to be around him because joy is heaven's business. You know, joy, Jesus, others and yourself. That's the equation. Get out of yourself. Get others centered. Let God work through you. You get the joy and then you give the joy and then the joy comes back again. And it's just a lot, a lot of joy. Amen. So. You delivered from fear. You delivered unto something even more excellent, which is joy and rejoicing. Paul said rejoice always, and then he repeated himself. Again, I say, rejoice. Why? Do you ever think Paul needed a reminder that, hey, what I'm feeling here is very different from my reality? You think when he was beaten and imprisoned there in Philippi that he didn't have the opportunity, the, the temptation to kind of be like, this is a bummer. This hurts. I'm bleeding. My head hurts. My neck hurts. You know, he could have whined and complained and demanded his rights and whatever. He could have said, I'm out. Okay, Jesus, I cast out a demon and I get beat for it? That, I'm not into that kind of, you know, it's like, the payoff doesn't match. You know, I'm doing good and I get evil. I do good, I get pain. No, what does he do? He's sitting in there, him and Silas. He's like, you know, let's just sing a song of praise. Why? Well, at the end of the day, we're going to heaven, Right? That's what I tell my wife all the time. I tell everybody. I tell my church. I, tell, I just tell people. I try to tell myself too. Why? Because no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm experiencing, no matter how bad it is, at the end of the day, glory is awaiting me. The worst you can do to me is a gift of passage for me to get to see my Lord Jesus Christ face to face. So if the worst you can do to me gives me something great and glorious, what, what does everything else do that you do to me or that happens to me? And the, at the end of the day, it's like, eh, whatever. It's like Job said, hey, though he may slay me, blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because he's good. It doesn't matter what's happening to me or how I perceive it. At the end of the day, he is good no matter what. And therefore, he's worthy to be praised. And therefore, I can rejoice. Why? Because he's watching over me. He's got a plan. He's working everything for good. Nothing can come against me. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Nothing can turn out bad. Why? Because he promised. It's all going to work for good. So I'm like, ha, okay, that happened. Didn't feel good, but can't wait to see what he does with it. Amen? So the last part of this is the telling here, three times, or you know, a couple of times, we see, do not be afraid, go and tell. Do not be afraid, rejoice, go and tell. That, that's there in verse 10, right? He tells him, verse 9, rejoice. And then he tells him in verse 10, do not be afraid again, go and tell the brethren to go to Galilee. And then we see down at the end, once he comes to the apostles, the disciples in the Galilee, we remember, you remember before even that, when he appeared to them in the, in the room that was closed in, you know, John tells us about that. What does he tell them? Number one, do not be afraid. <laughs> and number two, rejoice. Rejoice. I have conquered sin and death and the grave. I am with you. I am for you. I got a plan. I got a kingdom. You're going to be in it. We're going to rejoice. It's going to be a good time forever and ever. So anytime life gets you down, anytime the circumstances are bringing fear and all that, remember, 
I am alive. I am risen. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I'll work it for good. I will deal with it. I will watch over you. I will defend you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. And I am the I am. And whatever it is that you need, I am. And I'll be there. And I got gotcha, you. And I'm going to bring you up. I'm going to bring you all the way through. No? What did Paul say? He began a good work in you. What's he going to do? Drop the ball? Huh? Just, just before the finish line? Whoops! Sorry! Couldn't get you all the way here. No. Completed until what? The day of Jesus Christ. Until you see him face to face and you are made like him. And then there will be no more tears and no more weeping and no more sorrow and no more pain and no more fear and no more darkness or any other thing. And it will just be rejoicing for all of eternity. We'll just be giving him glory and praise and honor. And we'll just be like, worthy, 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 holy, holy, holy. Wow, we don't deserve any of it. But if you want to keep that going constantly, you've got to kick off the fear. You've got good reason to rejoice. And then you've got to go and tell others. And this is, to me, in my mind, this is one of the greatest mistakes that Christians make. Is that they will get blessed, they will get delivered, they will get helped, they will get provided for, whatever it may be. And then they just kind of keep it to themselves. Because they're timid, because they don't want to talk about it. They fear what other people will do. Again, fear comes back. But how do you deal with fear? Well, you believe, you trust, you rejoice. And you tell. You go and you tell. Every time I find myself talking about the goodness of Christ, the victories, the miracles, his work in my life, whatever it may be, just the scriptures in general, whatever, I, I just listen to myself sometimes. I was like, oh man, I just love this. I'll just love, 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 get it out. It's, it's just, it, it encourages me. It washes me. It, it, it strengthens me. Even though I'm giving it to someone else and I'm talking to them and I'm trying to get it to do something for them. And I walk away and I go, oh, thank you for that, Lord. You know, just, you built me up right there. Boom. It's grace. When I share the joy, I overcome the fear, I rejoice, and then I go and tell someone else. It does something to them. And then that again then does something to me. And it's just his gift. He says, hey, blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. Why? I give, it blesses, but then I can't help but get blessed by it. So a lot, it just perpetuates the cycle. He tells her, you go and tell. He tells them, you rejoice and you go and tell. Why? Because you're going to bless others and then it's going to come back and it's going to bless you. And there's going to be a lot of rejoicing and joy. It just, just keeps perpetuating the cycle. Amen? I'm going to leave it at that for now. There's three transforming effects of the resurrection in this passage. Number one, the resurrection delivers us from fear. Number two... It delivers us unto something even better, which is joy and rejoicing. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. And number three, it gives us motivation and inspiration to go and tell others. Because how can you keep such goodness to yourself? How can you be healed? How can you be delivered from fears? How can you get all the benefits that you get from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ and not want somebody else? You didn't deserve it. He gave it to you. So why would you then not want to go, hey... I got to tell you something. (laughs) You got all those problems over there. You got relational issues. You got work issues. You got this and that. that. I had those too. I still got some. But let me tell you about the transforming effects of the resurrection and what Jesus Christ has done in my life. What he's done for me, he does for anybody. He'll do it for you. Why don't you give him a chance? And then they go, "Eh, I'm going to give him a chance. And then boom, joy. And then boom, joy. And then woo, lots of joy, right? So... Don't don't stop at phase two where you, you get over fear, you get some rejoicing and joy, and then you're like, yeah, just ends right there. That's a bummer. 
You know, that's like getting the cure for cancer and not telling other cancer patients or whatever it is. You know, it's like, why would you do that? You know, spread the joy, spread the blessings, and it will just continue to perpetuate everything. Choose faith. Choose trust. Choose God and Christ and, and, and get involved in the kingdom and the kingdom work and, and get the benefit and the blessing of just giving out and sacrificing and loving and comforting and being dead to self and alive to others and just that is the abundant life. That's, that was the secret of Jesus. He didn't live for himself. That's what made him such a wonderful person to be around and just joyful. And they said, oh, this guy, is, he's a friend with gluttons and sinners and prostitutes. And then that, wow, yeah, because they liked him. Because he wasn't a bummer. He wasn't a legalist. He wasn't a, you know, the party pooper and all that. He'd show up and he'd be like, hey, uh, well, okay, you know. He blessed, he heals the prostitute. And then he says, hey, just go, go and sin no more. You're free from that. You know, I mean, look at Mary Magdalene. Here she is again. She's delivered from demons, uh, just just horrible, wretched, desperate living darkness, being dominated by sin and the devil. She's touched by Jesus. She never wants to leave him. She's there throughout the ministry. She's there at the cross. She's there at the tomb. And, he, and here she gets. She gets the first appearance. She gets the first hug. She gets the first, hey, do not be afraid. It is I. I am risen. Now go and tell others. Amen? I'm going to close it in prayer. If you're dealing with fear today, I'm going to tell you there is a solution. There is hope. There is a resource. It is a person. His name is Jesus. He's the resurrected Savior. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. When the devil roars, he's got a loud roar. But when Jesus comes in roaring, the devil flees. He runs and he can give you victory over your fears, whether they're simple little fears like, oh, I have a fear of typing. You know, <laughs> I have a fear of elevators. Uh, you know, my daughter's over that. Praise God. But, you know, when you see grown human beings and they just have so much uh, dysfunction relationally and. Uh, you know, men are becoming women, women are becoming, I mean, it's just crazy. Like a lot of just crazy because sin is destructive. And yet, a lot of that is sourced in fear. And only Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection can deliver us from that fear. Give us courage. Give us faith. Give us a reason to trust because we know God is present. He is with me. Therefore, I can stand up and I can give this speech at work. Therefore, I can change this job. Therefore, I can deal with the blue on the wall instead of why. You know, it's like we got all these phobias. But he will take you by the hand and he will say, just trust me. You step into the waters and they part and you get the joy and then you go tell someone else and then it gives them joy and then it comes back to you and then we're all just spreading joy and the power of the resurrection so don't don't just get blocked up in your fears today whatever they may be as we just stand up and pray is the worship team coming up as the worship team comes up go ahead stand up everybody together right now i want you to just as we sing this worship song i want you to meditate on what we're singing and on what we've heard today and on who jesus is and whatever your fears may be Maybe God has asked you to go on, on a mission trip. Maybe God has asked you to talk to your, your colleague at work. Or maybe he's asked you to do something just seems so far 
outside of your comfort zone and all that, and you're, you're struggling with fear. You're struggling with not obeying Him. You're gonna miss out. If you don't do it, He will get someone else. He will use someone else. The only difference will be, you will not get to be involved in it. You will not get the joy, and therefore you will not get to go tell everybody else about it. So, whatever it may be, just give it over to the Holy Spirit today, this morning, and just say, I'm going to face that with courage, with faith. I trust you. You're with me. You're for me. You're going to work this for good. I will step. I will speak. I will. Whatever you want me to do, I will do it by your power and by your grace. And just walk out of here free. Walk out of here rejoicing. Amen?